Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 314. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we look at the new images of space. And while we're filled with awe, still have no desire to go to Mars. I am your host, Nagin Farsad. And don't get me wrong, the infinite universe is interesting, but like I totally wouldn't want to live there. Today, we're going to talk about Herschel Walker and the many thorns in Biden's side. We'll also talk about the most fascinating speeches in history that were never delivered. And we'll talk about the phenomenon of being a terrible guest, uh, house guest, not podcast guest, because today's panelists are, oh, folks, you have no idea what a star-studded and ridiculous panel we have for you today. Um, joining us for the very first time, he's just, I, I had the, the, the opportunity to meet him a few weeks ago, and he's so delightful. He's also a former presidential speech writer. So he's just like the closest person to um, pr the president and presidencies in general that we've maybe had on the show. There's maybe a couple people competing for that spot, but you're I think you win. I think you win. He's also an author of a new book that's out. We're going to talk all about it. He is the wonderful Jeff Nussbaum. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Nagin. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh my, oh, my God. So excited that you're here. And also joining us on the show, 
show again. I mean, this guy has been on the show. You've loved him on the show. You've asked for him to come back on the show, and that's what I'm doing for you here. I am providing you with a man who is a comedian who's just so wonderful. He's a podcast host. Uh, He's about to go do a month-long run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, so people of Scotland who all listen to Fake the Nation definitely go out and see the wonderful Chris Gethard. Hey, Chris. Hi, I am also here. <laughs> and that's the kind of Chris Gethardian energy that we all uh, <laughs> yes. love. The big time energy. And appreciate the big time, Notorious big time energy. Um, okay, so before we get into it, I just want to remind listeners that if you join Patreon, you get bonus episodes of the show. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash Farsad. For as little as $1, you could just support the show. And then for as little as $4, you get you start getting free stuff. And then if there's like a $5 level, and then there's like a 10 and then ah. So, and there's stuff and t-shirts and mugs and oh my gosh. So check out um, uh, patreon.com slash Farsad. And thank you so much to all the wonderful fans of Fake the Nation. Um, so many of you who have been listening low these many years. Um, thank you so much for supporting the show. And now let's get into it with topic number one. Okay, so let's start with uh, Herschel Walker. You might know him as an NFL star, but I know him as a really terrible candidate for the U.S. Senate from Georgia running from Raphael Warnock's seat. Um, we can talk about the ways in which I believe he's terrible. But first, uh, I wanted to ask you if you'd heard of this guy before he ran for Senate, because despite my vast sports expertise, I had never heard of him. So where is he on the cultural landscape for um, maybe a more normal person? Chris, you want to jump in on that first? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I was born in 1980, so I'm a a child of the 80s and 90s. And I can say Herschel Walker was a he was a big deal. He's a name that you knew if you were. Growing, if you watched, if you were the growing NFL. up, even even sports uh, adjacent, like this, this was not. He was not an NFL player who was on a squad. He was a star in a big yeah. way. To- totally okay. agree. And, and he won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, uh, people of a certain age, and 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 Chris and I fit into that relatively wide band. Um, you know the guy. <laughs> He's got name recognition. He's got name recognition. Okay. Wow. This entire. A piece of cultural history completely flew by me. He did not have name recognition for one Nagin Farsad growing up in Palm Springs, California. Now, that said, you mentioned he has a Heisman Trophy winner. He went to the University of... uh, He also did that at the University of Georgia, so he has particular um, salience for Georgia. He won the Republican uh, nomination last month with more than 68% of the vote. And and he's actually a Trump appointee to the President's Council on sports fitness and nutrition from 2018 so he has that little feather in his hat uh my good and and let's be clear that is a very little feather (laughs) right i mean uh jeff can you just tell us quickly like what where you came from that maybe you're qualified to talk about the particular feather size Sure. Um, yeah. It, when you work in the White House, and I've done this in a couple administrations, there are lots of boards and commissions that presidents mm-hmm. get to get to appoint um, friends and supporters to. Uh, and Donald Trump had a 
particular attraction to athletes. And so being appointed to the president's physical fitness board uh, means maybe you do like three meetings over the course of four years and, and you get to say you did this. Now, <laughs> I, now, I, now, now, I will also say speechwriters love doing research. So I've done a little research and 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 when we get into sort of the substance, and I'm using that word very loosely of, of Herschel Walker's uh, <laughs> agenda here, I, I should point out um, that this is a man who went to the University of Georgia, um, not because of his academic prowess, and then was hit in the head 1,954 times as a running back at Georgia, uh, followed by another uh, thousand or so in the NFL, not including blocks. So he went in not particularly uh, as a strong academic and and helmets weren't then what they are now. So he's taken a few hits. And so it, and Jeff just came from the Biden administration. Maybe you've heard of it. So he and it's just been around presidents since like the year 2000 or something. So you know of what you speak. But um, I should I also just want say like when you hear Herschel Walker speak I'm just uh, Chris I'm going to read you a quote and then you tell me what you feel about this quote and um, when asked about climate change and I think I believe this video actually went viral when asked about climate change he said since we don't control the air our good air decided to float over to China's bad air so when China gets our good air their bad air got to move so it moves over to our good air space then now we gotta we we gotta clean up that back up. Uh, that's that's what he said. What did you feel about that assessment? I, I mean, I, I I I see how he got from point A to B on that. No, I don't see at all. <laughs> that's that is very rambly. But Herschel Walker, too. If you follow sports, he's always been a little bit of a weirdo, too. Um, oh, okay. And this was a thing that you kind of knew, like. Um, so this wasn't like a new thing. He's always been n not great in interviews. I don't know about interviews, but what I can tell you is like just being, I'm not a huge sports guy. And as far as sports go, I'm mostly a basketball guy, but I grew up knowing Herschel Walker. So things that you knew about Herschel Walker, like he, there was a renegade football league called the USFL, which was trying to compete with the NFL. And he start, he played there. He was one of their big marquee gets since he won the Heisman. And he played for the New, the New Jersey Generals. So I'm, I'm a Jersey guy. So I always knew him as a kid from that. That team was owned by Donald Trump. So like right there to go with the USFL instead of the NFL at a college, that's a weird choice. He was also yeah, on the weird. Olympic bobsled team while he was a football player. After his football career, he was one of the, you know how you'll see a celebrity from another sport fight mixed martial arts and you're just always like, this is weird. Like... He's one of these guys who's made a series of weirdo choices, so I'm not too shocked to find out that when he opens his mouth, he's kind of a total weirdo. Okay, and, and, and that's and yeah. that's where the Trump relationship begins when he's playing for the when he's playing for the generals, and of course, you know, Donald Trump sort of freezes in in his mind who's important somewhere around the mid 1980s. So you know, Herschel Walker kind of gets locked in there um, as like an right. important football player. And also, I mean, the other other reasons besides his position on the environment, uh, he made some claim that he worked for law enforcement that has been debunked. Um, he made a claim that he had been an FBI agent that has been debunked. This one's really weird. He 
talked openly about his son. He's he has a 22 year old son who's been very active in his campaign. But then weirdly, and he's been very critical of absentee fathers, and he talks a lot about um, about that issue. And his his 22 year old son talks a lot about that that issue. But the, it also then oddly turns out he has two other children. And I mean, I don't, I'm like, you know, this is one of those things where I'm like, we don't know the full story, blah, blah, blah. But it is weird to take a position on absentee fathers when it then turns out, you know, you had, you know, you were forced by court to pay child support. You never acknowledge these other children publicly. It's like, it's, it's not a good look just general. It seems like oppo research would have been like, we got to handle this one better. You know, that seems to be a big scandal right now. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to, I'm never going to judge somebody for their family setup, but I will judge the hypocrisy pretty hard. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. Ri- it's right in line with voting against, you know, voting voting anti-gay legislation and, and then being caught cruising in an airport bathroom. It's like right on target with the same like, say one thing, do another hypocrisy that right. the Republican I, I totally agree to with Chris. I, I think it's right. It's like people accept lots of different families, but but it's but it's it's the hypocrisy that's that's terrible. Although I will say in 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 having these children sort of revealed publicly, Herschel Walker said, um, leave my kids alone. And he could have amended that to do what I do and leave my kids alone. Um, oh, but uh, but um, but uh, I think what we really have here, thinking broadly, is like this is going to be a test case of how powerful is are, are the are the is the two drug cocktail of celebrity and partisanship. That's right? the because, question. Because this is a by a woefully underqualified candidate to be senator. You know, even a a sort of dangerous one in terms of just abs- like beliefs and ignorance and and all that stuff. And so it's like, is partisanship and celebrity worship going to be strong enough to pull this guy, uh, to get this guy a win, and not just a win, but a win against one of the most impressive new senators in the Senate, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is an inspiration. He's not unpopular either, right? Like, he's won over a lot of hearts and minds in that job. So it is a really interesting race, a really interesting person to put pit against Raphael Warnock. I should also mention Raphael Warnock has uh, uh, child custody issues that he's admitted to publicly. <laughs> it's like, you know, whatever. I just want to say, like, I'm not, not to be like everyone's perfect. No one's perfect. Um, okay. So this is a really weird race. We're going to keep our eyes on it. I do want to just point out to listeners in Georgia. I do think Herschel Walker is totally unfit for the job. So, you know, obviously listeners of Fake the Nation, they're wild conservatives. And so they are really like weighing that option. Okay. Um, let's talk about Biden. Now, this is interesting because because last week he had some very bad but also kind of neutral information come out. The Bureau of Labor Statistics revealed inflation had grown by 9.1% over the past year. Job, uh, the, his job rating fell to 36%. His, um, his economic handling dropped to 30%. Um, both of those numbers are lower than Obama or Trump ever had. Uh, Joe Manchin was a dick once again saying he wouldn't support any action on climate, which is not technically Biden's fault, but you know, it means that his climate agenda can't move forward right now. And then 64% of people said that they would nominate someone else for 2024 instead of Biden. But 
Then in a head-to-head race, 92% of Democrats said that they would vote for him over the GOP nominee. So it is a mixed bag of stuff that he had to deal with. It's not great. Or is it normal? I don't know. I mean, you know, Jeff, you've had more experience um, working around the presidency and for presidents and thinking about presidents. Um, Like, how much of this is just, like, news? How much of this is just ridiculous thing to be talking about? It's 2022, and we're, like, two years away from voting for someone. Yeah, well, we're two years away from voting for president, but, you know, obviously Congress is up for grabs. But but th- this this kind of illustrates two things. Um, your last site that, like, you know, his numbers are, are not where they should be or could be, and yet people would still vote for him in head for head. It sort of bears out the political truism um, from the former mayor of Boston, Kevin White, um, who I have a chapter on in my book, who famously said, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Right. So you're always going to do better in a race against an alternative than you are against a either the almighty or b running against yourself. So that's kind of why once a choice is presented as opposed to an abstract, um, you see Biden's numbers start to rise. But but in terms of just what he's facing, again, this is a challenge because we just have such short attention spans like President Biden is confronted with, you know, a land war in Asia for the first time in 80 years, you know, a once in a century pandemic, um, these massive supply chain disruptions, and really 40 years of crumbling infrastructure, which slows down supply chains, which is in part responsible for inflation, and 40 years of workers' wages being kind of suppressed and repressed. So here he comes in and, and you know, with a with a recovery act bill, tries to get some money in people's pockets with an infrastructure bill, tries to start fixing ports and bridges and roads. But but the pandemic really scrambled stuff. So so he's dealing he's sort of slogging through just trying to put his head down and fix it. And and American voters and global voters are like, OK, but what about now? OK, but what about now? Like, I'm OK. Right. I'm OK with supporting the people of Ukraine mm-hmm. for a week. But am I okay with supporting them for six months by paying higher gas prices? So he's he's getting stuff done. He's getting substantial stuff done. But it but it's hard for people to take a step back, understandably, from their own lives, because when you see what's happening with food prices, it's hard to take a step back from your own life and say, but the president's doing a really good job. Although I think he's doing as good a job as could be hoped for under the circumstances and could use probably a little help from Joe Manchin and maybe even a Republican. Chris, uh, you're among friends. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel. Are you uh, at this point in the Biden presidency? Where 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 are your feelings? Well, just to lay out where who I am, like I'm a dad in the suburbs of New Jersey. I'm in. I'm actually in Mikey Sherrill's district. So for people who follow politics, you know she. It's like a moderate Democrat who flipped a historically red district. So I'm around a lot. I'm a pretty progressive guy who's around a lot of people who kind of straddle the line, like more of the Reagan Republicans who didn't like Trump. Um, That's my headspace. That's my environment. These are who I'm raising my kid around. And I can say, like, it's really hard because I fundamentally like Joe Biden. I really do. I think he's a good man. I think there's also some things he's done that went poorly that were hard choices, like, you see the footage of what happened when he took the troops out of Afghanistan and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was such a shit show, but I have a feeling history might look back and go, someone was going to have to end that and he did an incredibly 
hard thing, maybe not the smoothest way, but like he, t- yeah, he, t- he, what's the, what's the word? He, he, uh, took one for the team or whatever. Like, yeah, someone was going to have to just like rip that bandaid off and we we're going to have to deal with the pain of it. And he did it. And there's a part of me that admires him, even though it was such a fiasco and I see the pandemic as and I see suburban, the obstructionism. As a suburban person, are you like, um, are you prices at the pump guy well, I was just where you're like say, really like, pissed off? There's the part of me that sees all of it for the historical context as someone who wants to be well read and someone who likes him and someone who votes blue. And then there's also a part of me that goes, I just filled my gas tank and it was $80 and that's insane. And people can't get baby formula and it might not be the best time to see a picture of him like fist bumping the guy from Saudi Arabia. Like that's kind of a bonehead move. You know what I mean? Like, if my tank is 80 bucks and you're fist bumping a guy who probably ordered the killing of an American journalist, like it's hard for me to feel inspired, especially when you couple it with all the other stuff that you saw such online reaction to that I totally understood of. I, I can't be told to vote anymore. I can't be asked to donate every time the Republicans do th- awful things when it's like we were so excited that Warnick and, and his hot friend John from Georgia got it. Like you have, you supposedly have the majority. So it's like this idea of like vote and we can get changed on. It's like we did like you have all the no, majority. but I like it's I, tough. It's uh, tough not to think. I, that way. I, I know I totally like, see just that. Stop and asking I hear me that for money and stop people. telling me to vote. When right. I'm a dad I, who's scared yeah, to well, hear that well, you can't get baby formula in this country. My son's older than that, but it was not far. That was not long ago for me to have needed that. I, I First of all, I agree with everything you said. And it's also it's like, right, you get those emails. You're like, I did give money. I did vote. And you have power. So so use it. And it's interesting because this is a place where Democrats are really weak, which is there's a story to be told here on on baby formula. Right. It's a company that bought back shares and gave its gave people bonuses, you know, and didn't invest in its workers and its plants. But but I but I absolutely take your point. And where you are in New Jersey, like think about the members of Congress, Tom Malinowski, Andy Kim, Josh Gottheimer, Mickey Sherrill. Like these are kind of the the sort of smart, centrist, wonderful people who we really need to keep in Congress. And the fact that some of them are at risk now is really scary. I'm really scared uh, to live in it. I moved. I have a very interesting path where I moved from Jackson Heights, Queens, where I was there when the AOC toppling of Joe Crowley happened. So I saw what it was like to live in that. And then I moved to Mikey Sherrill's district, which is, you know, it's like a 45 minute drive, but it's just such a different, different ball world. game. Um, so I've kind of lived on both ends of it. And I also want to say, too, for anybody listening. I am a proudly progressive artist with roots in the New York City art scene. And if you look up my bona fides, one of the weirder artists <laughs> they, of my comedy generation. Like, I'm a weird artist. <laughs> so is my Chris, wife. You're really fucking weird. Always and have I will vouch for that 100%. But, yeah. And you're, but that doesn't mean you don't get to be mad about a gas price. Okay. That's all, both of those things can be true. And that's the other thing is I don't want, I think that on this show, we've, I've said this a million times. You you can be a progressive like I am who still believes that there needs to be like a responsible handling of like the the police 
department, right? Like, yeah. I, it's like I'm not he, I'm not out here trying to cut budgets just without a plan. You know what I mean? So like that, you can be a progressive and like have nuanced positions like that. That's okay. Like it's like this. We're in this weird position as progressives where I have to be like, no, but I'm still like really weird and cool <laughs> like even though i know i really wish gas prices were lower you know what i mean those both all of those things can be true yeah it, i just want to say too it's so tough to see like a fist bump with the like a fist bump with so, that guy so, when i'm so like you why know, aren't so you, you know the backstory the you, no i don't and maybe that's the problem is like so, they, well, they, oh, they, they define the story MBS had arthritis and then biden was trying to help him and there's like a almost, special almost before before the trip the white house put out and i say my, my former colleagues said that because of covid concerns the president wouldn't be shaking hands he would only oh, be doing fist bumps yeah. mm-hmm. right and then immediately two minutes in he forgets his own guidance and then shakes hands of the of the israelis and so I, I agree like i think it's much much better optics to say look i shook his hand protocol demanded it a fist bump says you're my buddy Right. Yeah. A handshake kind of says I had to do yeah. it. And this so, is a formal affair. Yeah. So I, I agree. I agree. Totally. The, right. He's of course, the best thing would be that stuff. We we have to move on. Um, But folks, let me know how you're feeling. And I know we shouldn't tell you to vote, but I still think we should all just think about voting and talk about voting. And so I get and I know that's maybe that's annoying, but it isn't annoying because you know it. But the people who don't know it are your neighbors. And that's who you how we where we need to be spreading that. Especially in the midterms, especially in the midterms, especially in the midterms, midterms, because they're the the less glamorous, boring election. But they're like the as important if the midterm electorate looked like the presidential electorate. In any of the midterm elections, we would have the Supreme Court justices, we would have, you know, we would have the judges, we would have progress on climate change, we would be in much, much better place. All right. So, so definitely remember, we all know these guys does. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and hear about our sponsors. And we come back, we're going to talk about other things. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little a person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back. And before we get into topic number two, I want to quickly get into some races to watch. Races to watch from Chris in Missouri. Um, uh, the Democrat Spencer Yoder is running for Missouri's own Senate seat uh, um, against some racists to watch. Mark McCloskey um, and wife, oddly, they actually come into um, this guy's bar, which I thought was really of like an f- odd, funny detail. Uh, and then also, out of Minnesota, the second congressional district is in Dakota County. Incumbent Rep. Um, Angie Craig, a Democrat, defeated Tyler Kistner by less than 10,000 votes in 2020. And she is up against Kistner again and also up against the legal marijuana now candidate Paula Overby. So there's a third party situation also going on here. So, folks, uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota's second congressional district, please, please look at Angie Craig. All right, let's get into topic number two. Jeffrey, um, we, Jeff, I keep calling you by, like your grandfather would. I um, respond to both. Yeah. All right. I'm good. <laughs> you just released a book called Undelivered the Never Heard Speeches that would have re- rewritten history. I got my grubby hands on this book and it is so fascinating. Among the speeches that were written but not delivered were JFK speech for if the Cuban Missile Crisis had gone a different way. Um, and of course, the one I read just immediately went to from the table of contents was Hillary Clinton's acceptance speech chapter. Uh, and but, but before we get into it, tell me like why you started this because I feel like the the whole backstory of you even um, wanting to write this book is is interesting. Yeah, so I was like a kid speechwriter for Al Gore in two thousand, and election night two thousand comes, and Gore has three speeches prepared: a victory, a concession, and then a. Uh, weirdly, we thought he might win the Electoral College and lose the popular vote. So there was sort of a modified version that was like, look, an Electoral College win is still a win, um, which we were explaining to Americans before Americans now realize painfully in many cases that an Electoral College win is indeed a win. Um, so Gore ends up giving no speech that night. You know, Florida's too close to call. Um, and, and those speeches go undelivered and in fact get lost. Like I was holding them at one point, I I can't find them. But it started this obsession of saying like, where are the other places in history, not just in politics, you know, war and peace, even cultural events and things like this, where the outcome is so in doubt that there's there's a speech prepared, there's a draft prepared for an alternate outcome. And so that's what this book is. You know, I found about 20 of them, Um, again, uh, Helen Keller speaking of women's suffrage, Emperor Hirohito trying to apologize for World War II, King Edward trying to stay on the throne, and Mary Wallace Simpson. So I, I've, and, and in each chapter, I kind of recreate these less known or unknown chapters in history and then share the speech that shows kind of what the alternative outcome would have looked like. Uh, and it's fantastic. And just the breadth of, of speeches in there. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, in Hillary Clinton's speech, 
Uh, you talked about Jimmy Carter's basic outline for a concession speech, which I felt like was just a great life rule is 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 how to handle being wrong and f- losing and failing or just getting something wrong, you know? Um, th- would it, t- talk to us about Jimmy Carter's, like, basic outline for concession. You know, J- Jimmy Carter comes in for, like, a couple more references than I thought in this book. Um, <laughs> uh, um but basically, uh, it, it's it's actually from from Rick Hertzberg, who who was a speechwriter for Jimmy Carter, and basically said like every concession speech has eight things, you know, a manful, rueful acknowledgement of the pain of defeat, a congratulations to the victor, a pledge, sometimes made over the shouted protests of the audience, to close ranks behind the people's choice, thank you to supporters, praise for the political system, an assertion that what what unites us as Americans is more important than what divides us and a pledge to carry on the cause to which the campaign was allegedly devoted and a bit of concluding graciousness. So those are kind of the traditionally been the the ingredients of a concession speech. But strangely enough, in 2016, Hillary kind of had a draft that did that. But but once it became clear she'd have to give a concession speech, it was clear that those eight elements were totally insufficient to the shock and pain and outrage and the reality of the campaign that had just concluded. And so she certainly dispensed with some of them. And, and an interesting sort of gender note here, she is the only person to ever say in a concession speech, I'm sorry, which seems, which seems oh, interesting. Oh, that, yeah. I, I thought that detail was really interesting. Um, another speech that I was like, didn't realize was your chapter on Condoleezza Rice she was really obsessed. Did you know this, Chris? That that Condi, Condi was gonna give a speech on 9-11. Um, this little piece of history just completely bypassed me. He was gonna give a speech on 9-11 about the threat of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Do I have that right, Jeff? You have that a hundred percent right. Yeah, she was obsessed with it, right? Like she was all about it. And 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 hilariously, Biden was like, um, I'm sorry, like I think Condi's mistaken. Like they were on the the talk show circuits like Biden being like I don't think that's right like I think it's they're gonna come in a different way like Biden actually oddly had a lot of insight at at that time he was this the chairman of the foreign intelligence committee is that right foreign relations yeah uh, yep. yeah foreign relations so sorry Chris you were gonna say I did not know this and this is it's like a it's like the real life Marvel multiverse like you're presenting yeah. us with all the other what if <laughs> scenarios know. of how history could have gone. The, the, <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I, I had that's how I've been selling this. Or actually, us- you're teaching me how to sell the book. That's what I should there be saying. There you go. The political multiverse. <laughs> the political multiverse of madness. I mean, did Condi, in a situation like that, did she was she ever like, I was so wrong, guys. So sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Not even for a minute. And and by the okay. way, there's some new there, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, there's some new evidence, and this pains me to say it because because we have a couple chapters on apologies in the book. Eisenhower apologizes for has a speech apologizing for the D-Day failure. Um, Emperor Hirohito tries to apologize for World War II, which we would not let him deliver. Um, but there's some evidence now uh, that you should never apologize. The, the the science basically says if you apologize, you demoralize your supporters and you embolden your detractors. And so what? Yeah. So wait, is there's real there's real science on this? It's funny because I hate that science. This is actually from Cass Sunstein at Harvard, who who worked in the Obama administration, um, and and it's not this is not like 
totally established, but there is some evidence that says never apologize. And I hate it. I hate it because I think it's, it's is this the, moral the rare right moment. Yeah. Is this the rare moment that Trump read a Harvard study and then operated that way? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Did he actually read something? Is that what's happening right now? The, the guy, because... when, you know, right. When he's, when he's behind closed doors, he has elbows deep in sociology journals. <laughs> So I just, I'm just going with the science here, guys. I'm, I'm yeah, a big believer in science, it turns so, out. But Trump, 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 right? Trump had, like, he's a lunatic savant. There is an element where he kind of got stuff at a, at a, on a deeper level. And he recognized that the combination of short attention spans and not wanting to ever demoralize your own supporters. I mean, he, he got it. I mean, he got right. I'm, I'm making air quotes for the listeners. Like, he got it right in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, and to your point about Condi Rice, yes, she was... She was obsessed with missile defense. And in the speech she was planning on giving on September 11th, she even had the line that was basically like, look, some people think a more secure nation just means, you know, doing a better job at the airport metal detectors. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that, that speech looks like the, the goal of the book is Insane. not to, is not to do, have any gotchas. But that speech remains under classification um, for longer than it needs to, I think, in part because it does not look <laughs> that one has not aged well. Right. Like that is so that is that was so crazy to me when I read about that. Um, do you, what just to, to close us out here, what is your favorite speech that went undelivered? So I have I have two that kind of are on the same theme. Um, the last chapter has like four speeches people were working on at the time they died. Um, Einstein, John F. Kennedy, FDR, uh, Pope Pius XI uh, and Kennedy's speech, his final speech. Basically, people, to the extent people remember it, they remember it as being like America's the watchman on the walls of world freedom. Um, but what they don't see is there's lots of language in here where he's talking about domestic extremism and misinformation. And he, he's basically saying um, misinformation can hobble the progress of, of a country. And, and similarly, there's an obscure one from John Altgeld, who was governor of Illinois, who pardoned the Haymarket rioters and lost office because of it who's basically talk, denied the opportunity to give his farewell address, where he's talking about the dangers of partisanship over the need to govern. And so those two feel like tremendously relevant really warnings prescient. to us yeah. today. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I honestly think this book is so fascinating. And just, the, just to, to revisit these points in history, to think about what, what they were going to say, uh, it's just fascinating. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you. And um, did, did we tell your listeners it's called Undelivered? It's called Undelivered. Uh, undelivered. <laughs> uh, so pick it up. It is available everywhere where books are sold. Uh, all right. Let us move on to topic number three. So we read a question in the Social Cues column in the Times. And here's what that question said. Uh, I let friends stay at my lake house for a long weekend while I was away. I returned to six loads of dirty laundry, furniture moved all over the place, and a pile of water toys in my shed without so much as a thank you note for letting them stay. I was upset and let them know about it. Not only did they fail to apologize, they criticized my reaction and questioned the amount of laundry they had actually left. I feel gaslit. These people are like family to me, but I'm not sure I can forgive them. Their response to my complaint was worse than the original inconsiderate behavior what can I do uh, so before we get into what um, Philip Galanes at the Times uh, recommended they do Chris 
where, what would you do? What should they do in this situation? And do you think that those guests were actually bad guests? Uh, I mean, it's hard, right, hard to say if you're, there is definitely a part of me that grew up in North Jersey that's like, as soon as you start saying like, I had people mess up my lake house where there's a part of me going, you got a lake house. Like, how much am I going to trust your complaints on this? But if I do take it at face value, it sounds like these were rude people. And it sounds like it's fair to hold them at arm's length or not not have them back unsupervised. But definitely reading between the lines there, there is a part of me that's like, what are these rich people so mad about? But that is that that also probably is just on me. Wait, so, Chris, what is your personal, like, when you are a ha- guest, a house guest somewhere, what is your, like, b- the, your set of ethics around it? How do you behave? Well, I grew up Irish Catholic, so I apologize a lot for things. Nice. I endlessly okay, right. thank people for things. Mm-hmm. As you get older, you learn, hey, you stripped the sheets off the bed you, you slept in, <laughs> right? You, <laughs> You find the nearest hamper, you leave the pillowcase and then the sheets in there. Um, you always offer to take the people out to dinner, so, especially if, if this is not an Airbnb. These are like your actual friends, you know? Yeah. You always look yeah, to you, do you something nice. Yeah, you offer to nice. pay for the house cleaner. There you, know, you go, so have right? A cleaner come. Yeah. You look, to, you look to go above and beyond on some level. So, I mean, stripping the sheets is like the minimum. Like you're you're a grown-up and a guest in somebody else's house. So that's the thing. Was it six sets of sheets that they had that they had kindly stripped for you? I had the same question. I had the same question. I was like, is the laundry just the sheets that they stripped? And there's like a misunderstanding here. Are they taking all the towels that would have been hanging on hooks and putting them in the lawn? Is that one of the big piles? That's actually rather considerate, if you ask me. Right. Okay. So there Uh, are some, uh, but I I mean, what about these? Yeah. Jeff, where are you at with this, with this complaint? So my, my, my relatively recent life mantra is clarity is kindness. And I think like, you know, I, I think the, 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 the person who had offered up their house, like, I think you, I think they won't feel complete until they say, Hey, this upset me. Right. Like, but I also think probably a little front end clarity is going to help in the future, which is, Hey, when you leave the house, please do X, Y, and Z. Um, but, but now seeing that I'm like, I'm just hoping for this homeowner that like they left their Netflix logged in and the homeowner can have some fun just screwing with their algorithms, you know, just like <laughs> just choosing some to watch some really weird stuff just so that messes with them a little bit. But but I read it the same way, Chris. I was like, hey, this is a really high class problem. We should all be so lucky to have people mess up our, our second homes. Um, uh, but, but can yeah. I say, I feel like I, okay, just in defense of this person, I have got, I've never said anything, but we, we've had these friends who come over for dinner every once in a while and they never bring anything and it's fine. Obviously, like you don't have to bring anything. But I'm if I'm invited to someone's house for dinner, I'm I'm a, I'm like you, Chris. I'm like I'm so sorry I exist. Here are fifteen <laughs> gifts for you. I apologize for walking through the door. You know what I mean? Like how can I help? It's like I'm so constantly apologizing for my existence, and that's also not good. But um, but it's just I I go overboard, and so it's weird for me. We just had these friends. They like literally never bring a single item with them. Like uh, flowers or what? I don't care. I mean, it's like I don't need them to bring anything. But I also just think it's a weird, like, 
didn't your mom tell you that that's the nice thing to do when you go to someone's house to like take something where, you know what I mean? I, I, love, I, I love that we are all wired for guilt here, right? Like I walk into a house, I'm so sorry I'm here. I'm so yeah, sorry yeah. I even showed up. Here's some wine, here's some flowers. I, here, should I take off my shoes? I'm so sorry my socks are ugly. Like, I mean, it's just like over and over. Right? I've also, ha- I have a historically bad house guest situation coming to mind right now. So I do see the side, of, like if this is all real and I'm not just reading between the lines too much on the lake house thing, like I did, I did once have someone it's a very awkward situation where I won't get into the specifics so as to not totally out this person, but there was someone who my wife and I knew not that well, but who had done something, had been a part of something pretty meaningful. And he traveled very far and needed a place to stay in New York. But he presented it as like, I just need a place to crash and uh, I'm going to be out early. And I got up and went to work. And this was, we were in a one bedroom apartment. It was before a kid was born, but a one bedroom apartment a fold-out couch in the living room. And when I came home at four, he was still sitting, he was sitting up shirtless in our fold-out bed on his phone while my wife was vacuuming around the outside of the bed. And I was in like a, like the rage thermometer like went so quickly to the top (laughs) that it broke and the mercury spilled over, you know? Like I wasn't even... I wasn't even filled with rage because it was like this level of anger is so confusing. Like it's four in the afternoon. You're still shirtless and my wife is just cleaning around you while you ignore her. So I've seen bad house guest stuff. Like I'm not doubting that that is a real thing that exists. That is so I I do think that's so bad. Well, I'll tell you what the writer said to this particular um, the columnist said about this. They said if these people. He really pinpointed on the phrase, these people are like family to me. And if you're saying that, like, you shouldn't take it lightly, he wrote, so assuming your friends normally enrich your life, give them some time to recognize their mistake and circle back to you with a sincere apology. Um, You know, it may, like, if you really, if they are your dear friends, you have to kind of give them a chance to realize what they've done and, um, and to give them a moment to step back or give them a couple couple of weeks and then gently raise the issue again. Uh, now, uh, it's interesting because my way of dealing with things would be not to deal with them. <laughs> so, like, to give them two weeks and then go back, like, the idea just gives me hives. But, um, I, you know, and it's interesting. I think one of the things that I, I that, that struck me, though, about this, Um, advice is that when people are like family to you like these friends that come over and don't bring into anything they it's like my husband has known them for so so many years I the the point I got to was I just need to accept them and then just be okay with with what how they behave because this is ultimately not important right and I they're not the best guests and that is part of who they are, but we it's like, do I still love them anyway? Yes, then okay. You know what I mean? If, if it was going to be, if it was going to really needle me forever, I maybe would say something. But there is something about acceptance, right? I don't know, that I think is also helpful here. Yeah, but there's also something about the the weird satisfaction that comes from holding on to a grievance. Like at this point, you almost don't want <laughs> them to show up with wine and flowers because then you lose that, 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 
that really satisfying grievance that they never right, do. Right, 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 right. No, but there's all, but the, there's that weird, you know. And now it's it is an ongoing joke of like, oh, <laughs> let's invite them over so that we have to do all of the work and they don't even help us clean. You know, <laughs> they bring us nothing. Like it's like we uh, we it is now a joke. I, I it's like I do. I do have like reveries about them showing up with something and be like, so sorry for these many, many times when we have like not reciprocated this, you know? If they did turn it around at this point, you'd almost probably feel bad, right? You'd almost I'd almost instinctively be like, Oh, they I must have sent a signal of such of yeah, such dismay. Or you know they're listening to the podcast. Oh, oh they're listening to like, yeah, yeah, and they're like, wait a second, is that us? Because come to think of it, we've never taken anything yeah. over there. <laughs> um, okay, well, folks, let me know what is your experience uh, with get. By the way, and I wanted to say one last thing, which is that I remember uh, being in France. Listeners know I have some experience there. Uh, I was in France. My my aunt was a refugee in France, and she made friends and with this other family. Her family made friends with this other family, and they invited her to this like. Um, country home or whatever and I went um, and I I went with them to this country home and I and it was very much like oh everybody cooks together and cleans together and all this stuff in Iranian culture when you're a guest you do not like lift a finger like you all constantly offer and then the guest is like no 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 you sit you sit you sit the, the host is like no 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 you sit I've got it you sit so in Iranian culture, my aunt was like, oh, this is weird. I'm just like cooking with her. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not weird. <laughs> like, that's really normal. They're, we're all here on a weekend and you're cooking with her. So the other thing is sometimes I want to point out cultural differences uh, that, you know, may come into play. Uh, so keep those in mind for all your lovely Iranian friends out there. Um Okay, let me know what you think. Do you have any bad guest uh, stories? Did you ever confront them? Did you ever do anything about it? So curious. Folks, that is the end of the show. Ah, Chris, Jeff, you guys are just so gosh darn delightful. This was a really fun time talking to you guys. Um, What I would really love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Jeff Nussbaum, where do they follow you? Uh, Twitter at Jeffrey Nussbaum or just look at JeffreyNussbaum.com and you can find where I'll be talking about books and all sorts of other stuff. And I remind them of the title of your book that is now available. Ah, the book is Undelivered, The Never Heard Speeches That Would Have Rewritten History. Um, buy it anywhere, but especially buy it from a local bookstore and support local businesses. Um, excellent. And I have, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in this book. I'm, in, I'm really enjoying it. So I highly recommend. Chris Gethard, where do people find you? Well, you can find all my tour dates at chrisgeth.com and chrisgeth on Instagram and Chris Gethard on Twitter. And I got the beautiful anonymous podcast and the New Jersey is the world podcast. And I'm around. I'm doing stuff. Folks, you've heard me talk about the beautiful anonymous podcast before. It is actually quite beautiful um, and just riveting. And uh, and and if if you're anywhere near a live show of Chris Gethard's, you should be immediately attending it because that is uh, that is a wonderful wonderful time. And as for me, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. I want to remind folks that I will be um, on the Pod Save America uh, tour dates in Seattle on Thursday. So this show drop, drops Thursday morning so thursday night i'm gonna be in seattle i believe you can still get tickets maybe maybe and then on saturday i'm gonna be in portland
Portland. So again, go to Pod Save America to find out um, all of the details about Portland and Seattle. Uh, I will be there this weekend. It'll be so great to see Faith the Nation listeners in the wild, as it always is. Uh, but don't worry, I will have many, many more dates coming up in the fall. So there'll be other, other opportunities to see me. Um, and I would really like to thank all the people that make this show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, all of the fantastic people at HeadGum that make this show possible. Our theme music was written by Gabby Alter. And don't forget, if you want to send us an email, you can send an email at fakethenation at headgum.com. Again, that's fakethenation at headgum.com. Please keep sending your races to watch. Um, please keep sending your... Uh, we have a couple of sh- uh, segment ideas that I want to get into from, from listeners. So keep those coming. And again, you can also support the show at patreon.com slash Farsad. And we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>